Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. We don't need no education. That's a little Pink Floyd for everybody here today joining our podcast. Uh, this is directly related to our topic area, which we will be discussing graduate school for mental health professionals. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. This is our podcast, Shit Your Shrink Thinks. This is a podcast where two shrinks tell you what we think about mental health facts. We also give you a little bit of a hot tea pour on our own lives and what we're using. Yep. <laughs> Fun stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And as a reminder for you folks who have not tuned in before or who just need a reminder, we do have a Patreon if you're picking up what we're putting down. And if you'd like to leave a little tip in the tip jar, that would be at www.patreon.com forward slash your shrink things. And we also have an Instagram with some homegrown organic memes. Yeah. I've also figured out the Instagram reels function. So I'm real proud of that. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. Posting videos. Impressive. That's what's up, everybody. Um, and we have a Facebook as well, which is Shiitake Your Shrink Thinks, as well as a Gmail if you guys want to send us comments or new ideas. We love your emails. Hit us up. We do. So as you guys might remember, we're still learning about each other here on the podcast. So we sometimes tell a story or a general what's good. So Michaela, what's good with you this week? What's good with me this week is a children's book that we that my daughter received for Christmas. I love that. Yes. And it is called P is for Pterodactyl, the worst alphabet book ever. Oh my god, I love that. Look at that pterodactyl. It is purple and majestic. It is. So it goes through and it has all these like not phonetic words with their the starting letter. So it's just wonderful. I mean, considering how I'm a terrible reader and phonetically is how I read, this is like a great book. So hopefully my child will be more intelligent than me in the reading process because she will start out with a book that tells her that just because it starts with a P doesn't mean it doesn't sound like a T. Well, my what's good this week was, I think I might have referenced this um, last week, but it was a song. It is, a, I believe, a song from Ireland, perhaps. Ooh. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and it was called Bee's Wing. And I was just talking about how it is a song about kind of like finding your freedom and like a healthy relationship where both people have freedom. And I thought it was really cool. And there was a couple of lyrics that I just wanted to read and kind of like say like that is maybe the most romantic thing I've ever heard. Uh, and I don't know that it would feel romantic to everybody, but I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share it because I thought it was really cute. Have you heard the song before? I don't know if I have. Mm -hmm. hit, hit me up with it. So the whole song starts off with a setting where these two people meet as they are working in uh, some town in downtown Ireland, and they're working at a laundromat, essentially. And they come across each other and the guy comes across this woman 
And he says that uh, this is how he describes her. He said, she was a lost child. Oh, she was running wild. She said, as long as there is no price on love, I'll stay. And you wouldn't want me any other way. Brown hair zigzagged around her face and a look of half surprise. Like a fox caught in the headlights, there was animal in her eyes. She said, young man, oh, can't you see? I'm not the factory kind. If you don't take me out of here, I'll surely lose my mind. And I just thought that Ooh, you don't yeah, really hear. that's real re- relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't really hear those representations of, you know, somebody falling in love with somebody else as this, like, it's not as much a free spirit discussion or in that sort of way. Like I hear, you know, like, Hey girl country. And they talk about like, you know, this free spirit girl dancing around in her short t-shirt and her cowboy (laughs) boots. And for some reason that just doesn't feel the same to me as this sort of description is of somebody who actually is kind of a free spirit. Yeah. Um, And so the song goes on to say that they got together. And um, at one point after getting together, they had kind of like a temper tantrum at each other and he foolishly let her walk away. And he hasn't seen her, you know, since this time when they were very young. And this is what he says about her later on. He says, Oh, the last I heard, she's sleeping rough, back on the derby beat, white horse in her hip pocket and a wolfhound at her feet. And they say she even married once a man named Romany Brown, but even a caravan was too much settling down. And they say her flower is faded now, hard weather and hard booze, but maybe that's just the price you pay for the chains that you refuse. Oh, she was a rare thing, fine as a bee's wing, and I miss her more than every words can say. If I could just taste her in all of her wildness now, if I could hold her in my arms today, well, I wouldn't want her any other way. So it goes back to that same refrain of like, no matter what she is like in her freedom, even if it's like hard for him to understand that he always still respects it and wants her. And I just thought that was such a cool message of just wanting. Yeah, I think that is unique. That's a unique message in a song. Normally, it's, you know, even if they're wild, it's like, but I'm going to tame you. (laughs) That's exactly it. That's exactly kind of the, the feeling I get about those songs is it's like, or you have to be wild in a way that's like pretty or wild in a way that, you know what I mean? Like you have to yeah. be like cutely wild and not like fiercely wild. And like, I think it's cool that like sometimes like you're wild in a way that is not um, convenient or tame or pleasant to other people and that that right. can still be lovable and kind and cool to a partner. Yeah. So that was my what's good this week. So Sunny, what did you do for your outside a podcast experiment? So I have just been working on addressing some medical stuff. Nothing like I didn't end up doing anything uh, serious in terms of like actually mental health homework. I went back to our very first episode principles, like address your physical health first so that your mental health can flourish. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm addressing some like longstanding problems that I've been not dealing with for multiple years and I'm pretty excited about it. So it's going in the right direction. And uh, yeah, so I didn't do my other homework, but remember your your physical health is always going to start in, that's right. the soil that your positive mental health grows in. Right. You have to start there always. Yeah. 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 What about you? What did you try for practice? Mine was to kind of check in on my independence, that selkie self. Mm. And uh, <laughs> honestly, life's been really intense. I moved. My grandmother passed away. My cat went missing for two days. The oh holidays happened. That was the my scariest baby has thing been in the world. colicky. Oh like, my god! There's just been a lot. So the most that I'm really doing for my independence is like this podcast and showering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm looped in the same category as showers. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like okay, I get this shower. 
<laughs> Ooh, baby. Ooh, yeah. So well, it's kind of like related to the freedom of, you know, the seal person because you're getting wet. <laughs> there you go. Close yeah. enough. I'm, Close enough. Good enough. I'm going to be generous. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. It's a phase of life. And I'm mm-hmm. sure I will, if something I pay attention to and make sure that I am fostering that moving forward as much as I can when I can. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you. I mean, it's like, it's a matter of time, right? Sometimes it just takes a minute to get to where you need to be. So So what is this week about? This week, I thought it might be interesting to talk about our experiences with graduate training, um, because I know that you and I had like very, very different experiences in a lot of ways. And I think it could be cool to show listeners the gamut of what the experiences are like. I know a lot of our listeners are therapists, but I also know a lot of our listeners are people who want to become therapists or people Mm -hmm. who are just interested in therapy. So either way, it could be like a, a good insight, I think, for our listeners Um, this topic kind of came to mind because I'm doing a bit of faculty work at a graduate school this semester and I'm supervising some students and it reminded me of my own times back in graduate school. Mm -hmm. So first I just wanted to go through really briefly the structure of our training, just so you have an idea of what we're even referencing. And then we can talk about, you know, what it is that happened there. But a lot of you may be listening to us kind of like later in your journey. So you might not know this yet. So my graduate training was a program, it was a PhD in clinical psychology, and a PhD in clinical psych lasts about five to eight years. It just kind of depends on who you are, how fast you want to move through. Um, I got out in five because (laughs) I had to. (laughs) I needed needed that to happen. Um, And you earn your master's. So in the program I was in, you earn your master's uh, at at two, but you're not supposed to quit then because they will get very Mm mad. And a lot of your time is spent with a full-time course load. So you have like, you do full-time classes and then you do a caseload of full-time clients, um, which you see in the clinic, which is run by the grad school. So usually it's a community psychological service or a student counseling center. And then you have um, full-time research experiments that you run. And these include creating a master's thesis, dissertation, uh, publications, and posters. After year four, you apply to full-time clinical internships. And in year five, you literally leave the state or the city to work in an entirely different place to complete your clinical hours to finalize your doctorate. And after that, you have an option to do something for a year called a postdoc where you get supervision for your licensure hours. So that's just like the basic structure. And yes, you did hear me say full time in multiple different areas. And (laughs) for those of you doing the math, you're like, that's 200%. (laughs) Yes, I'm I'm aware of the fact that I said full time in multiple different departments uh, because that's what I meant. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. What was what was the structure of your program? So my graduate training was a master's degree in clinical social work. You could also do a generalist degree, or there was also some dual degrees. So you could get like a master's of public administration and your master's of social work or a master's of science and criminology and social work. Or Hmm. you could also do a public health with social work. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. you could do different dual degrees. Um, And generally, these programs are two to three years full time. You can also do it part-time, so double Mm -hmm. it if you go part-time. And just like your degree, you have to have at least your bachelor's before you can get into your master's. Yeah. We had a full course load of, you know, advanced practice skills in mental health therapy for individuals and groups, diagnosis of mental health, advanced community practice, academic research, 
organizational and program evaluations and supervisory and leadership skills are kind of like the highlights within that programming. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so we did have some academic research. We had to kind of create a thesis and conduct like a study, but it, it wasn't, you know, run some stats. It wasn't near <laughs> a doctoral level. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and we did have clinical internships, also called practicum placements. And those could be done in one location or multiple. And generally, we had about a half a year that we just that we did those. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. So basically, you would shadow other providers. You kind of took over a caseload and had some serious supervision. Yeah. So that's kind of like the context we're working from. You know, these yeah. are the basics of just w- what we did. Um, and I think everybody has a very different experience with grad school, as I referenced, like what it was emotionally and mentally like to be in that situation. And, you know, ideally you have a positive experience, like that's kind of the best case scenario. So I figured next we can kind of tell some of the stories of our graduate training. So we can talk about the culture and the demands of the program, and then finish by talking about the types of students and teachers and anything else that comes to mind. Um, and this could be helpful for people trying to get into graduate school or who are currently slogging through it or have been through it and yeah. uh, see the Validate differences. The struggle a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for you, what was the culture like on your end? I would say our culture, we had a clear set of standards and requirements, you know, putting forth a good effort, but there was really open communication and kind of a general understanding of life challenges. Oh, I um, like that. That's nice. Yeah. So in other words, you know, they, our professors really wanted you to succeed and they would try to help you through it. Um, it I'm not sure of like percentages of applicants that are, you know, denied entry into MSW programs. I do remember that there were only so many spots in the programs I applied for. That so it was sense. like an honor to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, our professors were really supportive and helpful. And there wasn't really a hierarchy from like different types of, you know, like generalist to clinical. Ooh, uh, like nor that. from part time to full time, honestly. Oh, uh, and cool. some courses you had to really collaborate with each other, too. Uh, like in our group course in particular, we actually did group therapy together. So it helped oh, us like get to know each other and oh, kind of that's see fun. what it was like on the other end. <laughs> oh, fun. Wait, so like um, was the professor kind of acting as the therapist or how did yes. that go? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. I assume you guys had to sign some consents for that. <laughs> I don't remember. We probably did. I don't yeah. remember because it was just kind of a – it was – light like we weren't getting like super deep but it actually got deeper than you'd expect you know once you start kind of plucking away at things yeah it's kind of like a a sample like a Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool that's cool so you felt like fairly supported fairly open transparent just like kind of a it was not a threatening environment it sounds like no and according to aswb which is the social work accreditation more than a third of the master's students for msws from 2019 to 2020 academic year were non-traditional students. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So we have a lot of people that are like coming back to school too. So, I mean, it's really a mosh posh of different variety of humanoids. <laughs> <laughs> also, what word is mosh posh? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I probably... A mishmash? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Whatever. Mosh posh. It's like a mosh pit. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, no, actually, that sounds um, – I have a good friend who does um, or did 
like counseling for non-traditional students to get back into careers. Um, and I imagine that she had seen a lot of folks who wanted to go back into kind of into social work because it seems like something that you can really make a difference in. And mm-hmm. I would imagine if you're in like a soul sucking job where you're just kind of like doing something that doesn't matter to you all day long, you might think to yourself like, yeah, I really, I would, I would want this career where I feel like I'm making a difference to people. So that makes sense that you would see non-traditional students. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty common. It's a, it's a, dry it's a well drawn in kind of program for non-traditionals for was sure. it like how how big were you guys's class sizes i'd say there was maybe 10 15 of us okay yeah yeah so not huge not huge no. at all no okay got it very cool yeah i would how about your culture not great, Dan. It was not great. <laughs> yes. Um it was not great. It was kind of the opposite of that, honestly. Um the upside was it was definitely a culture of like we expect excellence, which in some ways can be very positive. Um, but it was also like really normalized to kind of like suffer and be competitive, which I don't think was great. I mean, I think that there are like upsides to all <laughs> traumatic events. <laughs> like I think there is like growth associated with having to do something really, really rigorous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of like a cool, like you were, it was quote cool to be like proud of like how much you were suffering and working, which like personally does not jive with my value system. Like it doesn't, I just, but it was cool to be proud of how much you were suffering, which really wasn't something that uh, gelled with my p- personal values. And um, I would say it was not all bad, but the culture certainly was not healthy. I think it was like yeah. a culture of a lot of people who had unexamined mental health <laughs> issues, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, um, I'd say there was some of that in ours too, but <laughs> yeah, that yeah, sounds Some of those like uh, unexamined mental health issues, some of them are malignant and some of them are benign. I would say ours were more malignant. Um it did seem to me like there was a situation where several of the professors were just kind of not in their healthiest states. And so then that would kind of bleed down. Not that it's not that, that it was bad to have the mental issues, health issues is more that it was like unhelpful and competitive anxiety and anxiety driven mm-hmm. actions. Um, and it was, everything was kind of threatening. So um, I think they might have selected students that were similar to them in that way. Yeah, so I think it just kind of led to a culture where there was like, you know, very few people. So to give context, there's always like six to nine people in there. In my year, it was six. Um, and I think it ended with three, if that gives you any. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, if that gives you any context. And I know that's like, you know, 500 people apply for like six slots or something, which is Bananarama. And what that does is it um, – like self it selects for like a really specific type of person and frankly i don't know how i got in like i i actually am well i think it was my advisor thought i was like kind of different and picked me based on being different <laughs> but like basically what it is is that it ends up with then like a lot of folks who have you know they come from academic backgrounds like their parents are physicians or lawyers or something mm-hmm. like that and then also like um these people are like intensely smart and dedicated maybe sometimes to the detriment of like other things um like i don't know fun <laughs> like <laughs> like you know fun um so actually some of my best friends are from graduate school but you would kind of see this like you know lots of ivy league lots of um 
comes from a lot of financial security. Yeah, so it's just a very specific kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah kind, of, kind of the opposite of what, um, and I don't know if that's true in all graduate programs. So like, let me be clear about that. It just happened to be true in mine, I felt. Um, and it wasn't true across the board. So I'll say that too. It certainly wasn't true across the board and everybody has um, issues, but I would say that the students were more homogenous. Like they were more similar than they were from different backgrounds, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I would just say it was pretty intense and competitive. That was kind of the whole uh, vibe. Um, and it was very, um, I think people don't know necessarily that it's like academic. Uh, so when you go into a clinical psych program, at least for a PhD, it's mostly academic. Like they expect you to become a professor or a researcher. Mm, okay. And my program was actually 50-50. But the problem was that was that like kind of the clinical stuff was looked at as if it was lower, I guess, lower than. So it was kind of a bizarre thing. Um, academic was really revered. Um, and the academics were mm-hmm. definitely the ones in charge. Um, so they were kind of the ones that kind of made the rules. And individualism wasn't really a thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I wonder if because they were academics, you know, because they chose to be a professor, if that's why that if that's why it leaned that way, like if they were trying to like feather their own, you know, yeah, fluff their own feathers, I guess. Yes, I think mm. that you could be dead on about that. Um, and I think it's like, well, if you're being taught by people who are academic only, like a lot of these people didn't also do clinical work, which it seems like in your program, a lot of people did also do clinical work. Is that right. true? Yeah, yeah, and a fair number of them actually had side private practices. Like they not only were professors, but they also were working in the field in some capacity. If they weren't, yeah. they were either in like a community program doing mm-hmm. like on the floor crazy shit or they were mm-hmm. like doing a private practice. Yeah, I actually noticed that about the best professors and the best people who were in my program were also people who had like some kind of side clinical tie. Like either they did like, you know, random workman's cop assessments or maybe they did um, had their own private practice on the side or whatever it is. But I definitely noticed the same thing that the people who were kind of the most in touch and reasonable were always the ones who also had like kind of a leg in the clinical sphere. So I suppose that's something to just keep in mind for the listeners of like... (laughs) who are you seeing as a therapist or who are you becoming as a therapist, right? Like you want somebody who's more, who's got like the breadth and not just the academic side. Right. Yeah. It was definitely a a situation where it wasn't like, uh, in psychology, I think, I don't know. I've always seen in social work, it seems like, like there's two ends of the spectrum I've seen in social work. It's like individualism is like more celebrated and like you can Mm -hmm. kind of be maybe almost (laughs) Sometimes a little too, too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you get some real odd Wild. in there. Yeah. 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 And then like, cl- wait, are you done using substances or are you still on them? I don't. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then clinical psychology is the other end of the spectrum. It's like this men in black Stuffy. FBI agent. Yeah, like no personality. All the way up. Yeah. <laughs> Like, has never unbuttoned the top button of their collar, like, ever before in their life. Like, would be horrified that you suggest that. So it's just, like, (laughs) yeah, it's just, like, funny how, like, there are caricatures for a reason. There are extremes for a reason. I definitely did experience that in grad school. Like, it was a very kind of – I mean, I remember making jokes in class, like, really mild jokes, and it just going over, like, a fart in church. Like, there was just nothing. It was it was rough. So yeah, joking was was not really a thing. And then I would definitely say like, 
I had mentioned before, like the family system's really different. So like I came from a different, like more non-traditional family system, but also like a different socioeconomic status and also a different educational background. And so like, it was literally like speaking a different language. You had to like code switch when you went in there, which seems really counterintuitive. If you're like literally going into the mental health field, shouldn't that be a field that is more, um, welcoming and yeah open and understanding yeah curious Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I realized I didn't fit in when um you know I was at this party the first week of graduate school and over half of the people at the party were from Ivy League schools um over half of the kids way over half had gone to private schools instead of public schools which again nothing wrong with that but it was just like not my background Um, and there was this moment where, and I actually really love to travel and talk about travel. So it's not, um, that, that is the part that was weird. It was that there was these, like these, (laughs) the shelf of wines and this like area of cheeses. And there was kind of these like judgmental discussions about where the wines and cheeses were from and how they paired together. And if you like didn't pair it right, there was like this weird judgment that happened. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. And they talked about like getting these wines and cheeses from like Prague and all these other different places, which was cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But it was like a weird, I was like, oh, I have never been. Like box wine, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I've never been to a party like this. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have minded. I actually really enjoy experiencing other cultures, but it was a different sort of a, it was like, if you didn't know it, then they were better than you. That sort of a feeling rather than like sharing the experience. Yeah. Rather than welcome into this beautiful lifestyle. It was like, oh, you don't know this lifestyle. Oh, it's exactly. It was like you, you had to kind of like try to bend, blend. You had to be a chameleon (laughs) (laughs) in order to kind of fit in. And I, am bad at that. So it was just an interesting um, experience. And I know a lot of other people who have been through clinical psych programs or other mental health programs have had a similar kind of vibe happen to them. So then let's kind of talk about the demands of grad school. What was that kind of like on your end? I think ours might be more similar here. (laughs) Grad school is always difficult. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it was a very understanding environment and the professors, you know, if you were struggling with some coursework, you could always reach out and ask for help. Or like, I know some people occasionally would get extensions on stuff, but overall it was uh, fairly demanding. It's around, I think just 40 credit hours though, to earn your MSW. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'd have about two courses a semester. Uh, For the one that I did, it was a distance program. So we actually only met four times a semester, like over a whole weekend. We would like meet all weekend long. Um, oh, our, weekend. That's a yeah, lot. Because our professors had to travel four hours. So we would like start at like eight in the morning and go until like eight at night with oh. like just a lunch break. Dang, dog. Uh, that's that's rigorous. Yeah. But the rest of it was online. I mean, like, so a mm-hmm. lot of our stuff was submitting online. And I know a lot of the social work programs are hybrid and there are actually some pure online ones. I would recommend doing hybrid, though, because there is just some in-person stuff you have to kind of understand when you get into the field. Yeah, I totally would agree with that. I think social workers are more open to like that sort of like hybridizing it and like making it more accessible, maybe potentially because of the more non-traditional students. That's what I think it is, too. I think that's a large factor. And because it draws so many non-traditional, we have to really make it flexible and available for Mm -hmm. a variety of people, because a lot of people are working full time jobs, their parents, their Mm -hmm. they've got a lot of shit to juggle. And being a full time student, too, is a lot. So 
Mm-hmm. I remember being stressed out. I remember writing so many effing papers. I think if I remember correctly, I would spend about half of my day working on homework and the other half of my day doing one of my five part-time jobs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my so, gosh. Oh, so you so you worked while you were in school. Like did you work in jobs that were related to social work or they could just be anything? They were just anything, frankly, because at the time I was living in a rural enough area that there was no social worky type job. So that makes sense. That's what yeah. I was doing. Bus driving. That's when I was actually working in a gas station. I did like <laughs> just cleaning. Like I was like a cleaning lady. Uh, that's I worked awesome. as a para. Uh, <laughs> what? I didn't know any of this. Yeah. 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 I was what? a janitor, like a legit school janitor. No, you were. Um, yeah, I was. That's so really I did, cool. I had like a variety of side gigs that I would hustle to at the like later part of the day or you know some days if I was like pairing that would be like all day but yeah uh it's like your side hustle and then your side side hustle and then your side 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 hustle right yeah (laughs) there were a lot of random gigs that I was involved in and then that was during the time frame that I was a tasseling too that that season was tough because those those are long days but that is buck wild that's actually kind of cool though because like I did um have the sense in grad school that some of the people had not maybe had like real world jobs before. I don't know that that, and I don't know that you always have to have one. Um, but I will say that like having had jobs like that is like, uh, man, is that a character building experience? It like changes the way you perceive time management I've noticed and I think that it's really critical to have had jobs like that when you're interacting with clients because most of your clients are people who have jobs like that right so like maybe a couple of jobs really interesting like being the school janitor the amount of like shade and judgment I felt like I got like no way really yeah yeah I was like listen here I'm working on my master's and some of you guys only have your bachelor's so don't even come at me right now (laughs) what like I felt a little like that Oh my God. That's so like, what is even the point of that? Money is money is money. I don't get the point. Like if you feel fulfilled doing it or doing fine, like have a blast. Like it just doesn't even matter. People are so weird about that. That weird hierarchy stuff. I don't get it. I learned some good janitorial skills. Like I learned how to properly put in a trash bag so it it, like doesn't get too floofed. (laughs) (laughs) One time I worked at a, I don't know if I referenced this before, I might have, but I worked at a salon with a woman who oh. clearly had OCD. And so I, Whoa. for a woman who clearly had OCD, and I, um, well, like, <laughs> I learned these, like, very specific ways of folding towels. And so, like, the rest of my life is as if an angry raccoon has destroyed everything. But my towels, though, are, like, are very pristine. in this very specific position and orientation <laughs> because she was, like, psychopathic about it. And so, yeah, yeah, you learn stuff from these real-world jobs. That's interesting. They work during. Okay, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, Anything else yeah. with the demands? Um, yeah, not, not really. Again, it was, it was stressful. It was a lot of work. I remember, you know, different crying fits where you don't think you're going to get everything caught up or done. But Mm -hmm. again, generally speaking, at least, at least my professors were understanding. So if there was some major life crisis that happened, they would generally try to be flexible with some of your assignments. But there was a lot of paperwork, like mostly writing papers is a lot of what social work is. I mean, we did have the stats programs where we Mm -hmm. were running, you know, statistics and, you have other kind of random odd assignments, but a lot of it is writing papers, writing kind of diagnostics, doing case studies, mm-hmm. stuff like that. 
God, as you talk about it, I just miss that sometimes. Like, I know it sounds weird. <laughs> it sounds so weird. But I actually kind of, like, miss the, like, I think it's fun to do school because you always know, like, what, how you're doing in school. Like oh, when you yeah, have, you actually get, like, a grade. <laughs> yeah, it's like, A plus, you are smart. Good job. And mm-hmm. I like I like that kind of external validation. Like, when you're with a client, it's like, am I okay? Are you okay? What are we doing here? Like, <laughs> it's hard to yeah. know. It's hard to know. Yeah. How about your demands then? I'm guessing that they were crazy they they were dumb I mean they were I mean just it was if I'm being honest it was just like not reasonable it was actually absurd um I would say graduate school is one of the like few remaining maybe not few but it is one of the remaining forms of essentially indentured servitude um Mm -hmm. and I'm not like I am not being dramatic when I say especially for like a PhD program because how it works is they pay like you go there and they pay your tuition like it's free for you and they pay you like $10,000 a year or something like that. Some sort of like chump change that no human being could live on. Um, But because of that, they like, you essentially don't have an HR department and you don't really have a way to like uh, make complaints. And so, and there's no um, hmm, like caps or limits on the amount of work you can be given or expected to do. So the workloads are basically absurd. I mean, I've really never seen anything like it since my time there, I was definitely working like 80 hour weeks, sometimes 90 hour work weeks, which doesn't even seem possible, but it, it is, trust me. And so like, I would easily have 20 to 30 hours of clinical work each week, like between seeing clients and doing all the documentation, the testing, and then like the clinical write-ups. Cause you do a lot of like assessment write-ups that take a long yeah, period of time. That makes sense. Yeah. And then you'd have like, you know, 15 hours of physically being in the classroom, but then like between like 12 to 15, maybe even 20 hours of homework. I mean, like, in terms of what you actually could get done, maybe you could get done 10 or 12. But like you were assigned 20 was kind of the deal. Um, Plus, you had like maybe 10 or 20 hours of being in a lab, plus another 10 ish, if you could fit in or 20 hours of writing your dissertation or publications or posters. And so it's like 70 hours of work, if Mm -hmm. I'm being conservative. And like, just there was no cap. But then at the same time, you'd have these kind of like mixed messages about like, hey, you should really take care of yourself. And it's really important. It's actually in the American Psychological Association's like um, care model of like, you have to be well yourself as a practitioner, at least well enough to take care Mm -hmm. of other people and to make sure that your stuff is not interfering with their stuff, which actually makes a lot of sense. It's like you don't want an impaired physician, for example. Like You don't want a physician who hasn't slept operating on you. It's the same sort of model. Um, But I did not find that there was any real uh, information or practice of (laughs) self-care. And you could take off time, but you'd just fall behind. Um, And I would say that it was just kind of this chronic feeling that you needed to do something. Um, And, you know, who you would really go to about is it set up it's set up as every student has an advisor and that's the lab you work in. That's who you research under. And that's kind of like who you go to if you're having a problem. And my advisor, I did feel like was on my team, but that is not the case with most people in my program, how they felt. Um, Yeah. So it's like, just kind of shut up and do it was the message that happened. Um, And I mean, like in terms of like how much we worked for, I mean, we were definitely making less than minimum wage by like a wide, wide, wide margin. Like it would not be legal what we were doing in terms Mm -hmm. of like (laughs) workload. Um, And then a lot of us, so you mentioned like you have a job or whatever, like our jobs, we actually were not allowed to have jobs outside of the program, 
we our jobs had to be like through there had to be like clinical jobs through the program itself that were vetted through the program yeah. itself which is so bananas if you think about it like why do they get to control that like why can't i just work at a pizza shop if i want to on the weekends like what? right like that doesn't make any sense and like yeah. kind of f you for say not like we could you know have the time for it anyway but it was just like weird and very like i thought it was kind of like overly uh like how do you get the right is that even legal to tell me i can't do that that's like all i kept thinking right i do remember i think it was discouraged to have full-time jobs but i know a lot of people did have like they had to get some kind of a pink approval for within our program to to have a full-time job because a lot of them were using their bachelor's degree with something and they were encouraged to at least have a part you know at least make it a part-time instead of full-time but well it's so weird you can only do what you can do yeah and like the student loans just accumulate debt and stuff and accumulate interest and so it's just like well we need money so i don't really know how that's supposed to right supposed to happen and then kind of like our next topic area is the type of students that were in the program so we talked about that a little bit yeah um and yours you said we're kind of more non-traditional yeah, I mean, it, there was a wide wide variety. In my actual cohort itself, there wasn't like a huge number of non-traditional mm-hmm. um, because we were kind of a newer distance program. So we attracted a few kind of fresh out of undergrad people. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, statistically speaking, there's a lot of non-traditional students. And it is a wide variety of people. I mean, from mm-hmm. very colorful individuals to yeah. very drab and, you know, straight-laced individuals to... Mm-hmm. People it's a who rainbow. Have, yeah, people who have really been on the down and outs and they've lived life and they now want to turn the coin and try to give back. Um, interesting. Interesting yeah. different variety. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like a, there's a lot of, a lot to pick from, which is neat, yeah. I think, which is really I neat. do think it's majority women. There aren't okay. a yeah. lot of men. I think mm-hmm. my program had a man, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. And mm-hmm. I do remember, though, he was – during, like, our group experience, we talked a little bit about – the experiences of women and he it was eye-opening for him like he was like oh my god I never thought about that like you know walking to the car at night and how you like make sure that you know where the lights are and you have your key in your hand to like yeah. <laughs> attack somebody everything like some is danger different... yeah yeah <laughs> forever danger <laughs> so it is majority women but mm-hmm. a wide variety of colors of the rainbow of women I would say oh that makes sense very interesting um how I would you? say I would say uh, I definitely did meet two of my best friends in graduate school. Um, so, like, there were f- some very cool people. One is a marvel of human being who, like, vapes, listens to country music, and is a trust fund baby from, you know, the South, which is, like, the most colorful sentence in the world and is very interesting, like, deeply interesting. Um, and then the other person is also – the other person I also like is also from the Southeast – um, and she's like a very strong, warm person from Appalachia. Um, and I just must really like that neck of the woods, apparently. Um, but I would say overall, like our clinical class was, again, homogenous. It was like 50% men, 50% women. It used to be like the field used to be a lot more male dominated. Um, clinical psychology, especially, was like yeah. very, very male dominated. Um, and it has changed. I mean, like, and you see that with any field where, like money is 
It's like they just start to like it's mostly men and then like at like women slowly break in and then the field becomes like devalued, which is a whole nother like topic area. But Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see like um rate of compensation go down is like women enter a field, like a particular field. Like it's happened with physicians. Anyway, long story short, um it was fifty fifty at the time that I was in it for the most part, but I think it is starting to skew more female um or women. And I noticed that, um, I would say the student population was very, very anxious. And I think that's really understandable. Um, but it was pretty hard to like deal with the emotion contagion. Like for me, like I would feel a lot of that. And there was like kind of this like first year area where we'd all sit and I was just like, I cannot be in here. Like I really, really cannot be in here. This is like way too much anxiety about stuff that like in my mind doesn't matter literally at all. Like I just don't care what grade I get on this paper. Like it sucks, but bees make PhDs, you know, like if you, yeah, <laughs> like, whatever. right. Yeah. I'm like just going to survive this. Yeah. Like just, just don't fail. <laughs> um, I would say that the students, some were like really, it was like a bimodal <laughs> distribution. Like some are the best people I've ever met who are super cool and badass and like really fun. Um, and I would say the other half were like kind of, I definitely saw some real darker personality traits in there. I would say, um, I, I have an argument that one sixth of clinical psychologists are not like okay people. <laughs> so hopefully that's like, I hope that's not true. I want that not to be true. But in my experience, I would say like about a sixth are um, going into it for really the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel yeah. like there's a little, I mean, I think social work's the same, but different. Mm-hmm. Like my not okay is like mentally unstable in a way with like, all over the place or like yeah just like really erratic uh-huh. and I feel like you're not okay for psychology what yeah. I've observed is more yes. like the narcissistic yes personality disorder kind yeah. of stuff like I'm going to I've, attack you and like burn you down like the social right. work not okay is I'm going to burn myself down right and the, yeah and the psychologist <laughs> not okay is I will burn you down <laughs> right it's like, yes yeah it's a it's an interesting and it, you know you would expect it I suppose because it's like the mental health field so people go into it with like all sorts research. of backgrounds. Yeah. yeah, and me search, exactly. So it's like no shade, but I would definitely just say to people who are in those programs or who are, you know, even looking for therapists, it's just like good to kind of see behind the curtain of like what it actually looks like. I mean, how many times have you met somebody where it's like, I can tell you I met somebody in undergrad who is definitely like, you know, <laughs> like doing drugs and like bonging a beer and stuff. And then like that person is a surgeon now. And I like think about him a lot and I'm like, I mean, he was like one of the smartest kids I knew, but wow. Like I would not, I know a lot about him and I would not want him to be my surgeon sort of a thing. And so like, I feel like it's the same sort of way. Like when you, you just kind of like peek behind the curtain, you're like, hmm, this is interesting. It's not that like you should be perfect by any stretch. In fact, like I highly recommend you don't be, but there's also some things that do bleed onto your work life that you like see in graduate school. You're like, oh, there's no way for that not to bleed into your work situation. So right. it's, Not it's interesting. Not kind of issue. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then I would say like kind of the final part is about graduate school is the professors. Um, so what were – you've talked a little bit about the professors. You said they were welcoming opening any – or open any other kinds of information about them? I mean, there were definitely a few that were really hard-nosed and not quite so welcoming and opening, but, <laughs> but most were, you know, open communication. Most were friendly and, you know, they wanted you to reach out with questions or concerns. They were really open to dialogue. Um, 
they were I mean, again, I think there's kind of a, a fairly good variety of people with different backgrounds who end up becoming professors too. Which to do social work professor, you do have to get a doctor doctorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. For those master's programs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they are very well educated. And yeah, like I said, a lot of them have their own side hustles. Uh, makes sense, yeah. Overall good people. Yeah, yeah. From what I, was, I experienced, I'm sure there are some programs oh, that are yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I would say pretty far and away, our professors were buck wild. I mean, there were mm-hmm. some that were awesome that made school doable. Um, my advisor was really good to me. Uh, and, you know, worked hard on my stuff. Um, but I know that a lot of people do not have experiences like that. I mean, I've had, I've seen professors like throwing things, yelling, screaming, crying. Um, there's, I mean, there were all sorts of like, (laughs) like ism allegations, like racism or sexism or classism or whatever. Um, we literally had like a system where like you'd get these like letters at the end of every quarter about like who you were as a person. And, you know, it was like meant to be, <laughs> yeah, I know. What? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's bananas. Like it was supposed to be like objective behavioral data to like help you improve as a psychologist, but it ended up in my mind basically being like a, um, a character tear down. Yeah. A character assassination. Um, what the heck? Yeah. No, That's it was, awful. Oh, it's pretty crazy. Like I could tell you stories. I'm, I'm trying to keep it like kind of PC just because like, I don't know who knows what I know, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I remember I got one um, where I was uh, labeled as being inappropriate because I was chewing loud foods. And I wish I was like making this up. I was like eating loud foods in the class. And I mean, mind you, like we don't have any time to like eat outside of class really. So like yeah. I, I think I was I think I can remember what they were referencing. Like, I was thinking I was eating uh, Reese's pieces and carrots. <laughs> and I think and I think um what um hashtag triggered the person who wrote that in my letter was that I offered them some. I was like, Would you like any as I was opening it? Like I we were like in class and I was like, Oh, would you like any? Like just real like kind of offering around the table. Would you guys like any of this? And um I was apparently very distracting and um eating loud foods. So what that the heck? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that that's like the kind of stuff that like showed up. So it was a wild journey. I would say like the kind of you could just kind of like think about the kind of person that like puts that in a letter. Um mm. and I guess that was like evidence that I was like um maybe unprofessional eating those loud foods. I think that was kind of the message and that I need to to kind of like button it up and become more of an FBI agent, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, for what that's they, worth. They didn't want you to have the molder. You had to go, like, full scully. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard when you're born a molder, you know? Like, it's just really hard. I was born I was born a fox molder. I know the truth is out there, and I do want to talk about aliens. And it's just really tough when <laughs> you're surrounded by scullies in a oh field of scullies. So that was kind of, like, you know, um, something to think about with grad school. That's kind of both of our experiences Um, And I think it's just useful for people to know, um, like, not all programs are wild, not all programs are awesome. There is, like, a a lot in between. And so if you're thinking about going, you know, there's a lot to keep in mind. Uh, One is that, for me, I just really had to go where they took me. Like, I – the. The stuff was so competitive and I was not as competitive as the average student. Like, I think I I scored well on testing and I did well on GPA, but, like, 
I was straight out of undergrad, so I didn't have the, like, work. Uh, like, I didn't have a bunch of publications and posters and yeah. stuff, so I wasn't as competitive as some of the other choices. I didn't come from an Ivy League, and so for me, I just had to, like, kind of take what I was given. I had, like, three offers maybe or four offers and uh, maybe three, and two or three of them didn't fund you. So it was kind of like a no-brainer. It was like, well, I have to go where I'm funded. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have the money to go elsewhere. So it's like, yeah, for some of us, we just have to uh, make that choice. Um, but then it's like, at least you can go into it with eyes wide open and be like, okay, there are, there is a range and like, how do you kind of get through it? Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and I know with social work practicums, we aren't, we don't get any pay. We're on, we're unpaid labor during that as Mm -hmm. well, but Mm -hmm. it's not for near the time frame Mm -hmm. that you guys. Exactly. It's briefer. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Sure. And, but that's also still something to keep in mind for people going to social work too, definitely. And I would just say if this is something that applies to you, just kind of ask the students about the work-life balance. Um, they may lie, but you could notice inconsistencies across <laughs> student reports, right? Um, yeah. You know, and they could be blinking SOS to you. Um, no- <laughs> notice any like hesitations or like inconsistencies between what professors and what students are telling you that can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, you can ask people if they feel supported in their learning, ask people if they feel, you know, prepared for their career. You can ask to actually talk to ex-graduates of the program, which is something I did not think about. And I, I would have like, I would have loved to have talked to an ex-graduate of the program because I think they would have, they have Maybe less. a more honest answer. Yeah. Exactly. They're not really in it anymore and they have less motivation to tell you a fabrication. So, yeah. How would you come to find those ex you know, it, it'd be hard, I feel like, coming into a, a program and knowing who an ex-student was to reach out to. I mean. Yeah. A lot of times um, advisors will have a – so, like, my advisor kept in touch with all of her ex-graduate students, um, like, just has their emails and stuff in case, like, a publication mm-hmm. comes out that you need to put their name on from, like, research they did 10 years ago or something because that does happen. Um, and so, like, she would probably have had – like 10 different people's names just to reach out to and been like, Hey, this is their email, reach out to them and ask them. And that's pretty common, at least in a clinical psych program to have the, cause there's so few of us that yeah. you, you still know kind of generally where these people are located and where they're working and that sort of stuff. And so you could have got names that way, but I don't know if it's, I don't know necessarily if that's the same in social work. Yeah. I think the, I mean, yeah, the advisors, would have known where certain people landed Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure about the process of like asking that before you got in it you know what I mean like I feel like you would already be in it before you could have access to reach out to somebody and ask questions did they do like one-on-one interviews with you guys or no like before they let you in because ours was like we had this whole interview day and then you were linked to the graduate students that were already there and like had like a a one-on-one with them and then it was encouraged that you would like ask you because it's I mean it's five to eight years you're committing your life so then they would be like here's you know other contact points like that would have been that could have been part of it actually I just didn't think to do it but they don't it doesn't sound like that's a similar process necessarily for the interview on no not quite I mean we had references and stuff but I don't remember doing a one-on-one interview and I remember we did have like our whole class kind of had a orientation before we started Ah. to be like okay here's what the deal is going to be back out now like or forever hold your peace um <laughs> once Definitely. you're in it you're in it but uh yeah no we didn't have a interview it'd almost be like 
Yeah, it would almost feel like you'd have to contact the professors, like, even before you're, you know, which would might be mm-hmm. a little weird. It right. kind of depends on the program you're in, I would assume. Very interesting. Huh. The differences abound. <laughs> yeah. So based on this sort of uh, what would we like to do for outside of podcast experimentation? I know we're both uh, busy right now, but, you know, whatever we get. What are you going to do, Sunny? You You start. I'm just going to do a trauma narrative of my grad school experience, <laughs> like straight up. I just, I'm just going to write, uh, write a journal about it because it's just like, there's so many things. I do feel like, um, I keep in touch with oh, three, four, five, maybe five or six people from my graduate school who are really neat and who mm-hmm. saw it. Um, but I do think that I had, there was maybe one or two other people, um, that had a similar experience to me, but I think I had like a special level of, uh, haterade thrown my way. <laughs> and I, I like wish I could find somebody to validate that. Um, I think there are other like therapists out there. I think there's a specific set of personality traits that makes you kind of like a target in graduate school. And one of them is like being resistant. Like if you are a person who is resistant and like kind of more of a questioner and somebody who is more like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do that. And you're not going to tell me what to do. Like if you're right, more, right. um, if this if is what you want, please explain. No, you just have to do it. Yeah, it's like yeah, mm, the military in some ways. So like, yeah, a better way to describe it is if you're, you know how you have different reactions to trauma, fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. Mm-hmm. If you're a fight type, that does not go over well. I would just say that. <laughs> like if you kind of like put up your dukes, uh, it doesn't, you, you end up being a lightning rod. So I think I just want to write like a little bit of a narrative on like, what was that all about? Because there were some positives. Don't get me wrong. Like, I actually felt really, really well prepared and like, gr- like really well prepared when I got out of there. Like, I think I know more than the average bear. Um, but nice. it was also yeah. because it was the Hunger Games. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just write a little journal about like the pros and cons. What about you? I think what I'm going to do, I think this will be more of a long term or future goal. But mm-hmm. I know... A lot of times with social work, we're always looking for supervisors for those students. Mm -hmm. And I will acknowledge that I have been reached out to in the past and been like, nah, dog, I'm not doing it. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be a no for me. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm thinking I will try to be a little more open to providing that supervisory experience and, and taking on like a practicum student in the future, in the near future. That would be really cool. I love that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, so I have a joke for you this week. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a longer one. So you ready? Ooh. Okay. 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 So it says a graduate student submits his thesis to his advisor. A few days later, the advisor returns in with a single note. Needs improvement. So the student makes a few changes and resubmits it. Again, the advisor returns it with a single note. Needs improvement. This time, the student pours over it, double checks every word, and adds every reference he can find and adjusts the layout to make it more readable. He walks into his advisor's office and says, I have done everything I possibly can. This is absolutely perfect. The advisor takes it from him and says, okay, I guess this time I'll actually read it. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's graduate school in a nutshell. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. All right. Hit me. Okay. I've got a couple. Okay. How many graduate students does it take to change a light bulb? Mm, I don't know. How many? Just one, but it takes him 10 years. 
I feel attacked. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. It's not the student's fault. Oh, uh, I love that. Okay. I love that. Who is a graduate student's least favorite Greek hero? Hmm. Theseus. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah, I like Theseus. I love that. That's great. <laughs> well, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning into our podcast today about graduate school. We hope you enjoyed it. And again, reach yeah. out to us if you have any ideas for topics you'd like us to review. We will talk to you next week. Yeah, talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.